tuning in this one is with shane johnson so shane is actually one of the managing directors at the costa crust fund um who's kind of interlinked with rain eugene which is the studio i've been recording at you may have heard me talk about it with guests um so he was very helpful uh i actually met him through joe marushak episode 24 i think um and they're they're just kind of like business partners and then i went through the pre-accelerator there learning how to get my startup up and running and uh so it has been a big help shane and i have some differing views after i spoke with him but actually really respected his viewpoints more than what i'd heard from other people so it it was an eye-opening experience um i enjoyed speaking with him and thank you for for everyone who's who's listening and okay when i when i change my views because i think it's an important part of this and uh, also shout out to rain for letting me use their studio i appreciate it lots of love and here's the show all right shane johnson how goes it brother it goes well thank you very much yeah what you been uh what have you been up to oh a lot of nothing for the last few months um I left uh, what I was doing with Rain, the Regional Accelerator Innovation Network, which is where we are right now. Which is where <laughs> we are right now. Funny enough, and I've sort of just been taking time to take some stock of what I want to do next. Nice, kind of like uh, Joe Marushak's doing with his whole Medium posts. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you find your icky guy. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not going that deep yeah. into it. So, so are you just kind of on like, uh, what are you doing with all your time, kind of? Yeah, I mean, I'm still pretty well occupied with a lot of things, either, you know, talking to entrepreneurs because just because I quit rain doesn't mean I'm going to talk, not talk to people. And I've, I've been dealing with a, you know, a couple investment things and, and then I've just sort of been doing some, uh, introspection, um, you know, and pretty burnt out it's it's the point like right now i can't even read a book oh yeah so you know except thomas merton thomas you've been merton. on the grind yeah but i those are pieces right those okay. are meditation pieces more than anything you right? meditate no i think about them you <laughs> yeah. know the classic meditation yeah you, you think about what you're reading nice i like because everyone says they meditate I don't, I don't meet anyone who actually has a meditation practice I, yeah I, my brain doesn't work that way i I mean, the only time I can get into maybe that sort of very intentional um, in the now space is like if I'm doing something like when I fish or yeah. when I'm out doing something. And it feels good. Yeah, it feels good. Yeah. I mean, I, I liken it to the driving trance, right? Yeah. How did like, I get here? <laughs> every time. I mean, that was really me driving home where I was like almost sleeping every second. I got home like, I need to pass out. This is yeah. dangerous. Yeah. Well, I mean, but that's not really meditation either, because if you're just <laughs> disassociating, you're not meditating. So it's yeah, good point. It's it's, you know, like when I fish, I'm thinking about where I'm at in the now. Mm. And it's it's not like, oh, you know, time passed. Where did it go? Like when you've got road trance, right? Where yeah. it's like, oh, I'm 200 miles down the road yeah. and I'm still safe. Thank goodness. I know. Really? Though. Yeah. So. Are you Catholic? Or are you reading uh, Thomas? No, Mann? I'm Episcopalian. Um, I don't know what that means. Uh, so we're Catholics that are going to hell. Oh, I like it to do. So Episcopalians are, uh, still do 
pretty much a lot of the things the Catholics do are a little more liberal when it comes to family and uh, LGBTQ nice. issues and things like that. Um, you know, historically, we uh, I always forget the king, Henry VIII, you know, created the Church of England. Oh, yeah. So we're the American offshoot of that. We're part of the Anglican Communion. Um, is he the guy who went through like six wives and he yeah, like killed? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty yeah. brutal. So yeah, the Pope wanted to rein him in, and he said, "No, I'll just form my own church." Yeah. So <laughs> you really hated those women. You think he hated? If you made a whole new church just to get away from a girl? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the history well enough mm. to know, but I think he wanted to live his life, and that was a good excuse. Mm, there we go. So. What do you would you want to just give a quick intro to what you do? I mean, you're a managing director at um, Coaster Crust. Yeah, so I it's a complicated question because I do so many things. So my principal titled position right now is I'm one of the managing directors at Coaster Crest Seed Fund in Eugene, Oregon, and we are a very small early stage seed fund where we invest twenty five to two hundred thousand dollars in Lane County only businesses. Nice. So early stage we're usually the first institutional money in and you know we'll do around either help with a friends and family or an early stage angel round mm. um, what, per, what percent of a company do you take generally well, it depends on the valuation a lot of times we're not taking a piece of the company because of the way we invest it's in what's called a convertible note yeah. which is a kind of loan mm-hmm. right so you get it back when they exit we either they exit or they do what's called a priced round say they're successful enough to actually get more investors and they can set a value of the company when mm. they set that value of the company our debt converts at that value nice. right now and there's a couple different terms that give us a little better deal than that usually for being early investors yeah but I don't want to go into the arcana well, of the most interesting thing you said right there is if they're actually profitable. Cause I mean, no, it's not even profitable if, or, they, if they're making progress yeah. and they need to raise more money. No, but like, like, um, isn't it something crazy? Like 80% of, uh, companies that like seed investors invest in, like probably aren't going to make anything. Yeah. It's probably more than that. Yeah. It was just funny terminology to be like, if they're, if one of them's actually, pro- and then you're banking on the one or two that act like NEMA metrics probably will is going to be very fruitful. I hope so. I mean, I'm just, um, the, yeah, we're so startup investing, angel investing, early stage investing is all big portfolio play. Yeah. I mean, you want to winnow out like the people you don't want to invest, but you know, picking winners is really difficult. Yeah. And one of the companies that did the, the person I'm going to be talking to, um, Matt, Matt, Bidet. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's a uh, part of the Kasana Health guy. Oh, oh, um, Will Short. Yeah, Will Short. But um, so is that a company that you guys um, are helping getting going? Because that's I actually talked with. Um, I'm an advisor to Kasana. Oh, interesting. So um, they're at a stage where they're beginning to look around for investment, but the way their business is structured, and I'll let him go more into it, so I don't ruin your. Um, conversation with conversation them. is um they potentially could bootstrap off of revenue oh nice so um and you know if you 
don't have to take investment you don't want to take it mm. um, because at the end of the day you're selling a piece of your company right yeah. and the most expensive money the most expensive piece will be the early stage company yeah right because it doesn't dilute or it very well much. no I mean because people will go for a deal where potentially they're getting you know, 5% of your company for $50,000. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, or some other benchmarky thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's the most expensive 5% you'll ever sell. Right. Yeah. Cause as your company grows and becomes more valuable, that 5% gets really expensive. Interesting. Um, and so what's, what's your goal with all this? You want Eugene to become like a San Francisco area? No. <laughs> um, what's my goal with all this? Um, this is a really long involved answer, uh, with some background. So, um, Eugene is atypical in many ways and typical in many ways of communities its size around the United States. So one of the advantages we have a four year college, one major one, and then, you know, another sort of minor one. And, and that gives us an advantage in certain ways. Um, the problem is, by many measures, we're s- still a rural community. Yeah. Right? And what's happening in rural is you're getting this hollowing out. How so? So they're aging. Okay. Yeah. Right? So the median age of some counties in Oregon is like 55, 58 years old. Wow. You know, and I, I forget what the median age for the United States is, but it's much lower than that. Mm-hmm. Um and what got me thinking about all this is because I've lived here a long time and I'm probably going to end up living here forever. Um, you know, what sort of community do we want to have? Yeah. And the type of community we want to have is not um, this hollowed out community of young college students yeah. and older people um, with no sort of middle aged group of people who have jobs and careers. And, um, so in order to do that, we need to have opportunities for them. One place where you have opportunities is by starting companies that hires people who are mid-career people or whatever. And so the thought was, you know, with rain, with some of my investing and other things is to create businesses here that create opportunities for people. Nice. And, you know, I d- I'm not one of the people that say, oh, we need to keep the college students here in Eugene. Yeah. I mean, that's an easy glib answer. And frankly, you know, um, when I went to U of O many years ago, I wanted to leave too, right? Um, it's good to get out. What we, what I think we need to do is create a place where they remember and want to come back to when they have a few years experience and maybe have a family or, or starting, you know, more of their you know, lifestyle life where they have a good job, want to do things. Well, good job. The hard thing is, is I imagine a software engineer here might cap out at a hundred or so, but they could go to San Francisco and make triple that easily. So it's like, you're not, it's, it's going to be difficult to get software and like really good software engineers to work on things here. It seems like. Yeah. And, and I, I, gosh, um, you're asking really complicated questions without, um, here's the problem. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out how to answer this without getting myself into trouble, but, uh, that's the goal of this show. Actually, yeah. To, to get, get me in trouble. trouble. Just people. So, every guess. I mean, here, Eugene is a, you know, in a, a, a town 
that is like a lot of other towns across the United States that all want to have become tech hubs. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know how many urban areas we're competing with or rural suburban interface areas we're competing with, but it's quite a few. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we do that? I don't know what the right answer is. That said, you know, we have a ton of very highly paid technical people who are working remotely, um, who this community never sees. Yeah. And we have a bunch of highly paid technical people here in Eugene. And it seems to me based on just some anecdotal evidence that those wages are beginning to go up because, you know, with the, the advent of remote work, it's, you're not competing locally anymore. You're competing nationally or internationally. Mm -hmm. Um, so the, you know, the telling thing is, you know, this happened about 18 months ago. There was a company in Boise, Idaho that might have was looking to acquire another local company. And one of their reasons was, is your labor's cheaper than Boise, Idaho. Oh, interesting. So think about that. And for me, that, that really strikes home a problem that if our labor's cheaper than Boise, Idaho, and Boise's a great place and it's really growing for many reasons, um, we have a competitive problem. You know, you don't want to be competing on the price of your labor or the price of your property. No, it's a whole lot. So it sounds like what you're saying is you want to make America great. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> man, you are just fired up. Uh, no, I'm not sure what that means, but what I I think there there's a ton of really smart, dedicated people who want to make places better. Yeah. And that's a hard task. That's not as easy as just super hard task. Um, what better means means many different things to many different people. What would it mean for you? So, so why don't you want this to be like a retirement community in a college town? Um, seems like that's what Florida is. I don't know. (laughs) Calling out Florida. You know, I, you know, part of it is, eventually maybe my children will come back and work here, Mm. right? Selfish self-interest. Yeah. Um, Part of it is, um, you know, culturally, if we get hollowed out where it's old people or older people and um, younger people, there's not going to be a lot to do here. I mean, you know, these days with the way people are aging, you know, they're staying much younger in their heads much Mm. longer yeah and we don't want it to or i don't want it to be this one of these communities where there's nothing to do Mm. um you know either both with my sort of business interest head or culturally or whatever i mean i certainly don't want it to become the bay area or seattle or one of these congested areas but I think there's plenty of opportunities where we can move forward and be a successful community that, you know, has a full spectrum of ages and interests. Yeah. It's just a weird thing, man. Cause I mean, no one wants manufacturing jobs. Like no one wants to work a manufacturing job. And then it seems like there's just not enough work out there for everyone to have a, like a good high paid job, you know, oh. everyone wants a lot of money to not do a lot of work. Yeah, I, I think you're overstating it. I think um, you know we're going into the realm of 
anecdote, opinion, and bias here. That's the goal. I know. <laughs> it's the book um, science show. Uh, I think systemically we've, we've had some things happen over the last 50, 60 years in particular where we've gotten a focus on college education. We've denigrated a lot of blue-collar work, both manufacturing and trades. Yep. And um, so we have this perception that people can't make good money, you know, doing blue-collar work or, or trades trade work. make great money. Certain trades make great money. Not all trades make great money. Um, you know, we have to avoid that trap. We've gotten into this thing of wage growth and community wealth, and that's why everybody's computing for, you know, wants to become a tech hub yeah. and have tech jobs because they pay pretty darn well. They pay above, you know, well above median wages in the United States. And overnight scooters appear on your sidewalks, also. Yeah, but <laughs> all sorts I mean, of things. I mean, that, that's just, I mean, I'm not sure that's a symptom of anything. I think that's a symptom of the culture of the area. Yeah. And, and I, I think. Um, up and coming places that have a strong sense of their culture, they're going to need to change it a little bit, but they don't have to give up everything about it. What's interesting is I've always been kind of against culture. You think culture is important? Uh, culture is the underpinning of everything in community and business. Really? I think if anything, it's something that holds people and like areas back. Well, it depends, right? So if cultures don't evolve, yes, and if cultures and they tend not to, a big underpinning of culture is like, all right, we need to preserve stuff from hundred years ago. Yeah, I think you're thinking mixing up culture with nostalgia, and maybe, um, you know, because if if a culture doesn't move forward, it stagnates and dies. Yeah. It has to morph, mm-hmm. and you know, culturally. Um, you know, we, we have culture struggle here in Eugene Springfield. Yeah. We have a lot of different cultural pieces in terms of people. Um, and we have a lot of different pieces in belief systems and business and all that. So it's, it's really complicated. And you know, that's why I I sort of am uncomfortable when you're saying, well, what would you like to see? Mm. You know, I, you know, I would like to see an alignment of all these groups and different believers in a direction. Mm, I don't need to see perfect cohesion, perfect cohesion and even perfect tactics on how we're going to get there. Yeah. So I've, I've sort of come to believe, especially in community building and culture and things like that, um, that most people start from a really good space. They want to see improvement. They want to see quality and you know, nobody's sort of like, you know, wants to, you know, uh, totally, you know, screw something up. Yes. The problem happens when it becomes, it's, it's sort of my way of the highway or my belief system's the only right one. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, everything's blended and, and there is no right pathway to get there. There are sort of, you know, I, you know, I have this catchphrase that, you know, we can follow best practices and all this all we want, but best practices are just average. Yeah. You know, they're the cost of doing business. And if you're just up to best practices, I mean, you're an average community, you're going to do average development. 
you know, you're not going to innovate at all. Somebody's already innovated. That's why their practices and best, mm -hmm. you know, they've been shaken out. So, you know, I think everything's founded on a culture. Um, culture rests on history, mm, cool. um, which often influences the current culture and some of the barriers to issues. In business, it's the same way. Yeah. I guess, so my, my biggest thing with Eugene is it seems like there's no like middle-aged people because it's really expensive to live here. And there are, like, I mean, and rightfully so. It's one of the nicer places in the world. We've got great clean air and water, friendly people, you know? So it's like rightfully so. Um, so I think it is just like older people who can afford to stay living in the house that they bought. And then um, I think a lot of the college students are uh, exchange students even. Um, I, I think you're getting a little caught in an anecdotal trap. Mm -hmm. um, the, I do those. The visual, <laughs> I, I mean, at the student level, based on some of my conversations, you know, in terms of exchange students, that number has been declining. Yeah. Do you know why? Well, I think structurally it, you know, it has to do with some of the, the politics. Yes. You know, specifically, to, but the interaction between us and China yeah. is a big deal. Well, in the legalization of marijuana here, a lot of, cause it's so, um, prevalent. Yes. Yes. And then it's, um, Chinese families don't want to send their kids here because it's like, that's a crime. over. Yeah. There. I think that's one of them, but I also think it's, um, just a broader political thing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, not, gosh, how do I do this without ticking a bunch of people off? The other thing is, um, Eugene is a small college town. Mm. It's a hundred miles from Portland. Yeah. You know, I was going to say anywhere, but it's a hundred <laughs> miles from Portland to the South. It's way further. Yeah. And you know, the word gets out a little bit that Eugene is a quiet town. And if you're, you know, somebody looking to come to the United States from another country, this may not be your cup of tea. So yeah. I don't know if that could be part of it too. You know, words got out. Well, it's not New York city. It's not San Francisco. But what is there to do in a city that you can't do here? It seems like the only thing that you can do in Portland is go spend money. Like that's what there is. And you're in the town. Like I think countrysides, yeah, you, you can do more stuff for free and well, fun. I mean, you're, you're, you're sort of asking me a lot of loaded questions of what's wrong here. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> you know, no, it's, no, it, I, I was it, saying it can, that in, in pro of Eugene, like I think there's a lot of fun well, things mean, that you can do. Yeah. But I mean, you're sort of putting your value system on what? Yeah. Is value. That's what people do. But good right. point. I, yeah, yeah. Didn't even notice. So, that. I mean, it's one of the battles we fight again, culturally, mm. you know, back when I was a student in the mid eighties at U of O and I've keep, you know, keep hearing it still to this day you know, our quality of life, life is so good. People just want to move here and they're not worried about, you know, the decrease in pay. That was the eighties quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's not the case anymore, mm -hmm. right? We can't hang our hat on our quality of life again, because it's a competitive workspace and worldwide. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if, you know, there's tons of places that have, great qualities of life that are just as competitive with us because of communication capability now mm. or transportation capability now. You know, you look at a place, arguably Asheville, North Carolina, right? Yeah. Up in the hills, beautiful, has a college, all that stuff. You know, even some of the Midwest college towns. So, you know, hanging your hat on, oh, we have a great quality of life is okay. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, what does that mean? You know, and quality of life means different things to different people. 
I think right. it's generally so, the ability to be happy, healthy, wealthy, and just free. You know, you know. Well, I mean, what does that mean, though? What I, does that mean? I, for me personally, again, this is my values. But like, if I was in New York, I'd be unhappy because the inability to get away from people and the inability to see nature. I think, you know, and then but other people do like that. So I think it's an option to have a more nature and people when you want to see them, but you can leave. Right. And and the problem is with that. And you know, this is funny because this is a problem with the Pacific Northwest in general. Um, you know, people perceive the rest of the country having the same values that we do. Oh, mm-hmm. I want to get outside. Yeah. Oh, I, you know, I like to go walk or I like to hike or ski or fish or hunt or boat yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And so we put a lot of our read that, you know, we're very similar to the rest of the country and you know, we're not. No. And, and, and that's fine. Um, but when we overvalue our sort of idiosyncratic geography based belief systems, it narrows our vision down to what we should be doing to Mm. be competitive in a greater world. Yeah. So do you think competitive is like a thing? Like, do you think the downstream of this is like everyone will just be remote where like everyone will be digital nomads, like everyone who lives here, like uh, like competitive won't be a thing. It'll just be people live where they want and work everywhere else. You know, potentially, I mean, you know, I thought the world, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I thought there'd be much more remote workers. Mm -hmm. I thought there would be, um, the beginnings of some fragmentation of the urban areas into less urban areas. Mm -hmm. We're seeing that a little bit, but remote works at like 3%. Uh, I, I thought like 1.8, but yeah, it's been going, it's pretty low. Yeah. And you know, but you know, we've sort of seen the, in the last, since the last economic downturn, you know, the large urban areas are actually aggregating more and more people because that's where the economy, that's where the opportunity is. That's where a lot of the interesting jobs are. And and it's sort of interesting that with all this technology, people still have to be in a center where there's a lot of people. Now, funny enough, you know, a lot of those people, because of traffic and other issues, will telecommute three, four <laughs> times a day, right? Yeah. Or a week. So mm-hmm. what what's the benefit there? And there's a lot of remote businesses, especially at the agency level, because of, you know, they contract out work, you know, to creatives and things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, but what does that mean for us? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot smarter people working on, you know, sort of smarter than you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know what, what economic development looks like in communities like ours, things like that, you know, um, doesn't mean we have to be a tech hub. Does it could, are there opportunities in other areas, you know, light manufacturing, heavy manufacturing, Um, you know, what are the, our strengths, right? Yeah. You know, in wood products, you know, people think of that as sort of old school timber, but you know, it's become a fairly technical, sophisticated manufacturing um, sector, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, what are the opportunities we have locally to do things? Um, again, I think we get sucked into our biases because. You know, when you live at a place, every place is special, right? You know, when I went to graduate school in Rochester, New York, you know, Finger Lakes wines, right? 
everybody was like, oh, these are great wine. Right? Yeah. So we come to Oregon. Oh, these are great wine. Yeah. Now, Oregon does have a little better <laughs> opportunity and something to hang their head on there. But what you get is this regional myopia, mm-hmm. myopia of we're really special and we need to protect that sometimes or, or we need to focus on it. I mean... Uh, but that's the fun of it. And that's the fun of being on a team of your like local areas. Like you, you think you're, you know, you're like, Hey, I'm, I have it's some a civic sort of pride thing. Right? Yeah, I have some sort of pride about where I live. I'm not just going to sit here and be like, yeah, no, I don't really like Eugene. It's like, if you think that you'd probably move. Cause I think people do live here and don't cohere, like don't agree with like, Oh, I, you know, like, like nature and kind of like the general air, like vibe of the area. And I think they leave. So I think people tend to just stay where they're the happiest at living. I think people stay in places for multiple reasons. Yeah. Um, I think that we have a, a group. So it's, it's really hard when you're college educated and have been a professional to see and look at migration because if you make good money, it's a lot easier to move around yeah. than if you don't make good money or if you're not in, you know, professional level skilled work that makes a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So if you have a trade, you can move, right? Yeah. Um, and if you're in the medical field, you can move, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, if you're not, you know, if you don't have a lot of money, there's a lot of risk in moving. So, yeah. um, I think a lot of people get stuck in regions. I think that's one of the reasons we have, in the United States in general, some of the poverty we have in rural, um, it's not, you know, people in general, I think want to live well. Yeah. You know, and you know, it's, it's, it's a mobility problem and a risk problem. Mm-hmm. Like social mobility, like a, not even social mobility, but a mobility. I mean, in the fifties and sixties, we moved all over this country, right? Yeah. Um, families moved all over and broke up and you know, your brother worked in LA and your dad worked in Minneapolis and, and your you other brother talk. worked in Florida and they had worse communication than we Yeah, did. And they That's drove crazy. and long distance cost a lot. And yeah. You'd, you'd drive for 14 hours to see each other on holidays and all that. Um, and just our geographic mobility has been significantly reduced in the last 20 years for a lot of reasons. And I think one of it is, you know, sort of a stratification of salaries and wages mm-hmm. and, and cost of living in these urban areas where everybody's moving to. Yeah. So what do you think of people? Can you get into a little bit of politics? Like, what do you think of people like Bernie? Cause that's his whole platform is like this happening. <sighs> <laughs> that big of a fan. I, the problem with politics is it's always reactive. React. Yeah. It's, it's, it's backward looking. Um, it's a lagging indicator of where things are. It's very hard for government and to look forward and plan ahead. Um, some of that's really good. I think a certain amount of inertia in government's actually good. Um, and so, you know, when somebody like uh, Bernie Sanders talks about X, Y, and Z, or um, I think those are looking ahead compared to where like where politics, you know, happen. or somebody like Yang yeah. or, you know, it, it's really hard, you know, to what is it? What does that all mean? And regionally, it means a lot of different things. You know, frankly, my, my biggest concern 
and this is political, but it's sort of a policy level political thing is I think um, the biggest thing that's going to hinder the United States going forward if we don't correct our immigration policy is um, we're not going to be competitive in the world in terms of business. And, you know, right now, depending on what you read, we're at zero or negative growth population wise. Right. So um, that will affect our economy in many weird ways. Mm -hmm. But you you also have to look at, um, I forget what the percentage is. I think it's like um, 65% of the unicorns over the last 20 years um, were founded by immigrants. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Um, you know, our level of entrepreneurship in this country is declining fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. The one group of people that it isn't is new immigrants. Hmm. And I'm not, and, and, and this is entrepreneurship. This isn't small business formation. This isn't somebody who's doing what we think of classically, you know, like opening a restaurant. You know, it's funny because I was re- recently reading an article about New York City and they're getting sort of scared and concerned. The consumer is because there's fewer and fewer Chinese restaurants. Really? And you want to know why? Yeah, why? Because their kids are all going to college and getting good jobs. Oh. They don't want their kids to be working in a restaurant. Totally. Their next generation. Yeah. So you know, um, it and it was an interesting story because that's sort of a classic immigrant story. Mm-hmm. Right, get here, take care of your family, and give your next generation opportunity. Yeah, um, and I worry we're missing out on a lot of that. Um, like for, we just don't have the hunger, or what? Well, it's sort of ironic. A country that was founded on immigration mm-hmm. is very against immigration. It's now. very against immigration, and okay. I mean, it's controversial and everything. I mean, all the data shows that um, immigrants pay taxes, commit fewer crimes, and use social services less than, yeah. you know, the, 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 you know, born population here. And, and we have a lot of biases. I think we're wired for it, frankly, is, you know, there's the other, you know, sort of instinct Oh, you know, they're new and novel. You know, when you meet a new person, mm-hmm. you're sort of standoffish first. You know, a lot of times there's yeah. some people, that, you know, they're, they're wild people. I spray pheromones all over me. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a problem and you know, I don't know how to fix it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there are ways to fix it that are, you know, rational and everything, but in terms of national politics, I think that's, one of the big ones. I think the other one is um, sort of wealth inequality. Mm. Uh, it's sort of um, ironic, especially in a lot of the startups in the last 20, 30 years. You know, it's about scale as quick as you can, you know, right? Yeah. But what's the outcome? Why do you want to scale as quick as you can? Yeah. So you can achieve monopoly, mm-hmm. which is the most anti capitalistic thing on the planet, yeah. right? or achieve a near monopoly or create a moat, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, moats are different than monopolies, but, um, you know, we've gotten to this practice of, you know, people look like me and, 
you know, old white guys, um, we're the incumbents and we want to protect our incumbency mm-hmm. through certain regulations. I mean, so anyway, from, from a political candidate point of view, yeah. I mean, one, I'm in Oregon, mm-hmm. so I don't get to choose anybody who's no. running for president. Doesn't right? Matter. Or, yeah. or it doesn't matter. But you can secretly hope and put some, you know, put some thoughts out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I watch things, but by by the time it gets here, the candidates decided. I know. It's sad. So you know, then it becomes who's going to do the closest thing to what I think, yeah. right? Um, I, you know, believe government is important i and i think it does a lot of things at many layers of our economy that don't people don't realize including spending money and recirculating money and slowing things down i think you said that to me a while ago yeah and i mean there are important things that they do like slowing certain policies down but um you know what does this all mean i don't know Mm mm-hmm it's funny because a big thing that I've liked is accelerationism. Like we need to just go through stuff to get to the other side as quick as quick as possible. And so it seems like slowing things down wouldn't help. That's why I like people like Bernie. And, you know, I think downstream, I think Trump will have done a lot of good because of how quickly he just accelerated stuff. And same with people like Jeff Bezos. Like they're just the extreme of pushing things really quickly. And I think if so, wealth inequality gets that much worse, I think there will be eventually some sort of like uh, protest. So... I'm, I'm going to sort of disagree. Um, the move fast and break things yeah. thing f- philosophy has gotten us in a really bad position. Mm. Now, um, there's a difference between creating chaos for profit yeah. or harnessing chaos for economic good. Yes. Okay. And um, I don't think of what's going on in our government as anything good. Um, there's no thought being put into it. Um, it's not stirring things up. It's just making it easier for rich people to profit. And that's my Mm -hmm. opinion. Um, it's making it harder for small business to do work. The tariffs have destroyed small business. Really? Yeah. They've a lot of small manufacturing in the United States has been torched. Hmm. Um, if you look at, you know, even the farm payouts, you know, not 80 or 90% has gone to large corporate farms. The small farmers are not seeing the money that's going back to them. So, you know, what does this all mean? Um, you know, change is happening faster. That's just the nature of our communications, right? Mm-hmm. It's the nature of the speed of our computing time. It's whatever. Um, the problem is change is happening so fast and it's accelerating that policymakers and regulators and whatever cannot keep up, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's why government is always lagging. Yeah. You know, it, a great example this week is, and this is a worldwide problem, which really makes it complicated, is, you know, low Earth orbit satellites. Yeah. Right? Um, there's a lot of benefit to be had. And, you know, people will pick on Elon Musk about his initiative. You pick on him. <laughs> well, I mean, there's certain things I'll pick on. On this one, I, I think he's being, it's a problem, but I think he's not he's being inappropriate and maligned because there's a lot of people that want to put a lot of satellites up, especially the low earth orbit ones. But is his concern that it's going to get so busy that you can't send anything out? That, a bunch of so, so, and, and just from a quality of life standpoint, think yeah. about this. No stars. So he, he himself and their company want to right now have 
want to put up 12,000 satellites. Wow. Okay. They've filed a request to put 30,000 up, 30 more thousand, 30,000 more. There we go up. Right. Mm -hmm. So these are low earth orbit satellites, which you can see very easily from the ground. Yeah. Okay. Those are the blinking lights that move fast that aren't planes at night. They don't, you can uh, see them in the day or at night at night. Yeah, they're, okay. they're like the blinking lights sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. or you, or you'll just see them go in their solid light because of the reflection of the sun. Mm -hmm. um, so already with twelve thousand plus thirty thousand, if they get up there, that's forty-two thousand. Yeah. How many visible stars are there from yeah. the ground? I don't even know. Nine thousand. Wow, really? Right. From a quality of life perspective, though, isn't his whole thing is he's trying to make uh, Wi-Fi and internet free for everyone around the world? Like he's trying to help people. Uh, <laughs> I could okay, be wrong. so. <laughs> <laughs> Here, here, here's where the interesting thing is who gets to s decide what's better for people. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're into pop culture at all, if you've, you know, ever like read or watched the movie Watchmen, you know, there's somebody in that movie who was the smartest man in the world who decided that he was going to make world peace arrive and he killed th 3 million people to bring the world together, right? Sorry to spoil the end of yeah, that. Whoa. <laughs> right? And he's the smartest man in the world. He's, I mean, super businessman, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, you know, and who, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the sky belongs to all of us. Yep. Um, and it's a highly unregulated environment right now. You know, who's to say that somebody doesn't put up 1,500 satellites with bright lights on them and fly the Pepsi logo oh my over... North America at night, yeah. right? So Jesus. every time you look up, yeah. you see some corporate logo, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it's expensive, but it's probably not cost prohibitive anymore. Yeah. So, you know, that's one of those things where government's lagging. Mm -hmm. And because of space being the nature of it, it's like, which government gets to yeah. talk about it? Yeah. You know, I mean, we're seeing that whole thing around privacy in Europe versus the United States versus California versus all this, you know, arguably the internet has borders because of placement of networks and placement of servers, mm -hmm. but what does it really mean? Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I don't know, man, it would be weird to look up and just see a logo. And I don't think it's that car. I, I think what you, what really boils down to is if you have an optimistic or pessimistic point of the view, uh, point of view of the future of the world, and from yeah, I think a tweet that you put it out is if you're pessimistic and you're right, you're not wrong or something no, if, like that. No, um, if you're right, it's not pessimism. No, if if um, you're not cynical, if you're right. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so it's like like I, I guess it does kind of break down to a, a view of if it's better or worse. And I think in a lot of metrics, the world may be getting worse. But I think in the important metrics, the world's getting better in terms of like less people are dying of diarrhea. Let's be like more or less kids are dying, so people are having less kids, so less We're, over. But like I think the world's heading in a lot of good directions. I think people in power want you to think it's heading in bad directions. Yeah, well, I don't know who wants you to think that. I think by putting the judgment people in your power, you know, who are the people in power? What I, I the will, Epstein people, oh, like, like people who want you to stay uh, mad at your fellow. Yeah, you know? I, I, I mean, again, and that was so vague. You know what I mean, though? Right. I mean, so the colloquial powers that. Be. So what we're having is what I would call sort of a regression to the meantime mm. or these times. So in developing world, it's elevating, right? Because it's a floor effect and the average wealth in the world is, you know, some number. Mm -hmm. And so developing countries are beginning to, to do better. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there may be this, you know, 
developed countries may be beginning to do worse because they're regressing back, right? Yeah. Because of where there's an equalization. Now, this could be a complete BS theory, um, but you know what? What's better mean? Is yeah. better mean longer life? Better means your kid's not dead. Your wife's not dying in childbirth, giving birth to a kid that also well, dies. That's one metric. And having drinking water. That's oh, one metric. I think those are pretty universal. Well, no, I, I I think they're very good metrics, yeah. but but no, yes, absolutely. You know, but does the fact that our suicide rate is climbing? I know radically. You know, it, does does that mean the world's getting better when people are opting out pretty hard? No, that's a really uh, good point. You know, so what do we, it's it's one of those things where you know is it because of change yeah is it because of you know social issues is it wealth inequality you know everybody likes to pick their favorite issue mm-hmm. um you know it's really hard to predict macro issues right mm-hmm. so you know what can you do locally or regionally to make your little piece of the world better i think is where we're going to devolve into yeah which is good that's where it should devolve into more tribes so i think like almost a climate change the mind has happened where like the climate is always changing we're just making a change too quick so things can adapt i think technology and a lot of things have made us change away from tribes away from spending time with our family and friends so quickly that i think people are vastly unhappy yeah i it's it's an interesting thing and i am not qualified to talk about it but i'll give you my opinion I don't think anyone is but. yeah i mean we used to Back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, there was like, you know, society is going to heck because the the family structure is falling apart, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, the, and, you know, social conservatives like to point out, well, it's the society became too liberal and it crashed everything. Um, you know, I'm not sh- the the society isn't going to heck because families are falling apart, right? Interesting. Um, society is not going to heck because you know, um, you know, somebody, you know, sh- can choose their partner of their gender, right? No, absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, that's you know, I think a lot of it is is due to isolation. The more technology you have, the more isolated we become. Yeah. Um, I think we've destroyed that sense of community. Um, and I'm Which family's a big part of it. You said family's not breaking apart, but like, would you be okay if your daughter lived with you when she was 20 or like eight, you know, like a little older? Because oh. historically, humans have always done that. You've always kind of stayed in a family group and you take care of the kids and then the kids take care of yeah. you. But now we just, this radical bifurcation of... Um, yeah, get them out of the house. Get them out of the house and then you're lonelier and then the kid's out there and they have to get a shitty job just to manage. Well, I mean... So and that's a new concept. It, it is a newer concept, but yeah, again, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, my um, opinion based on my family life is, you know, family's pretty important. It's important, and um, you know, is my family relatively close? Most of my signif- significance have moved here on my side. On my wife's side, they've always lived here. Mm. Um, you know, that's why we live here. Your family magnet. Have, did your family really all move to you pretty much or near you? Pretty I mean... Um, that's funny. A lot of them. I, I mean, I don't have a huge family, so it's pretty okay. easy. Yeah. Um, but um, they've moved here for various reasons. 
Um, and, you know, and I think it's important. Mm-hmm. And I think that's beginning to come back a little bit. So, but we're developing online tribes, if you want to call them tribes, or, or groups of people. And, you know, even though you can have conversations with them and whatever, you know, the physical proximity matters at times. Yeah. So. Physical proximity and sunlight are two things that people, I think, just devalue. But, like, if you're not seeing sunlight for, like, a week, like you're staying inside or something, you're going to feel worse. And same as if you don't have a human-to-human interaction. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, so that's, that's a funny thing because, I mean, I grew up in eastern Oregon where there's a lot more sun than there is over here. It's brutal. And yeah. I really feel the winters, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, just the darkness. Even if I get out, you know, I'm talking to you right now. But... You know, even getting out and being social, I still feel the dark. Yeah. You know, and, you know, um, we say as it is kind of sunny out today, but this is, this well, is, yeah, it's been it's unusual. horrible it's for been the past pouring. three days. Right. That's why I didn't do shows in December because no one, no one's feeling good and wanting to go out, especially well, it's dark at like four, four and everybody's busy and everyone's busy. So I'm like, you know what? I don't even, you know, summertime people are just better. I think people have more energy. They're more enthusiastic about life. Well, and there's biology behind that too. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but you don't want, you want to stay in Eugene. You don't want to move somewhere where it's sunny all year round. <laughs> want or will, I guess the two different questions. I mean, I mean, we all make trade-offs in our life. Yeah. Um, I think Eugene's a great community. I live in Springfield, Eugene, Springfield. I think Eugene and Springfield are both great communities. Absolutely. I think they're one great big community. I wish we could fix that part of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's plenty of opportunity here. You know, moving to sunnier spots, um, you know, what does that mean? You know, it's like I could move to Salt Lake city, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's sunnier there. Yeah. Um, and I, I would be perfectly happy in Salt Lake, um, Boise, Idaho, which is booming now, maybe. Uh, but you know, I grew up in a very small town and County. If I'm going to move and move away from opportunity, I'm probably going to move to the middle of nowhere. That's oh, just me. Interesting. Um, you know, just because the work to rebuild a network's pretty hard. Yeah. hundred percent. So, and it feels good. Like, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing because I have a friend from China and his goal, like the goal of him and all his friends and stuff is to, you're born poor out in the countryside and you want to get wealthy and move into the city. Right. But here everyone wants to move out of the city and have like acres <sighs> of their own property. We're the opposite of China, which is exactly what you're saying is regional. Uh, yeah. And I think, I think you're overstating that too. I think totally. that's a very Oregon thing. Ooh. I, I think there's plenty of people that might want to have a vacation place in the country. Yeah. They really want to enjoy the amenities of a city. I think everyone wants to live five minutes out of the city, being able to get to the city in five minutes, but have like acres of your own. Like, well, you know, maybe. I mean, I, I, I jokingly tell my wife all the time that if I ever have to move into a town, I might as well move into a city. Okay. Yeah. And I, I might as well live as close to the city core or an mm-hmm. area that has stuff going on as possible. Because frankly, you're going to accrue a bunch of expense and you might as well get the most value out of your location and not have to commute, not have to commute, have walkable neighborhoods, you know, all, all those weird things that everybody talks about, Mm -hmm. um, you know, living five, 
minutes out by car or even 10 minutes out by car in at least in the United States, um, you lose a lot of um, the benefit of living in an urban environment and get a lot of the the um, problems. Yeah. So you think you get a lot of the problems? Because I think I think for me personally, and I like there are people who live in cities, and like for me, I think power to them. But like, I guess my biggest problem with living outside of the city because I'm ten minutes out right now mm-hmm. is I'm way lazy about going and getting groceries. Like I'll run my food supply down to eating Top Ramen for three days. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, I get it, I get it, I get it. I'll go grocery shopping. Um, but other things like I think it's generally decently nice to. Uh, be able to be naked in your backyard, for example. You know, like I think being naked is something that no one like. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the f- f- for me, I, I, you know, I'm very privileged in the ability to where I live at, and you know, in Springfield, and I have a lot of privacy. I don't, you know, I have my lot is large by other places but by here it's a half acre there's a lot of half acre lots in this area mm-hmm. um and so i'm pretty privileged around that but and even you know in traffic it takes me 12 minutes to commute to downtown eugene oh fudge no yeah whoopee do right <laughs> yeah. um but if you move to a larger urban area you know 12 minutes doesn't get you anywhere no it gets you and down the road so, you know, what are the benefits? What are the minuses? Hmm. I don't know. You know the funniest thing about being, because I've only been in this city a couple of times, so I'm obviously talking about out mass, but um, someone who lives in Portland was driving me around, and when she parked, she, like, tapped the bumpers of the car in okay. front and behind her, and she's like, they're called bumpers. I'm like, whoa. Like, if I did that, and someone was in my car here in Eugene, they would freak out. They'd be like, what the fuck? Yeah, don't leave a mark. Yeah. Um, that's so funny. No, I mean... <laughs> And, and that's so different. You still try to avoid that. Don't let her tell you it's normal. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> the, you know, and I, I guess this conversation circling around, you know, what do we want Eugene to be? What do we want Springfield to be? What does that mean? I mean, our biggest problem right now is around affordable housing. Yep. It is. And the West coast and, you know, parts of the East coast are having that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and any place that's a growing urban center is having that problem. How how do you make sure there's opportunity for people and for everyone? I mean, you d- you don't want want to have this class of worker where there's three families living in a one house. No, right. But then you have everyone who owns a house say, "No, don't build more houses because then my property value goes down." Right. Yeah. Or don't build more houses that will obstruct my view. Yeah. Or blah 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 mm-hmm. and you know at the end pretty soon we're just going to have to man up and say look you know we need higher buildings mm-hmm. and further out and well no actually further in oh really yeah i mean the united states the west coast is egregious about not infill in their existing urban environments mm-hmm. i mean look at any neighborhood in eugene once you get a you know, six blocks out of downtown, yeah. it's single unit family housing on fairly decent sized lots most of the mm-hmm. time. But I think that's what part of like, that's what makes this such nice housing. It's like, shit, you can live in town in a single house, like with some property. That's unbelievable. Yeah. But that's also extremely privileged yes, and extremely inefficient and causes a lot of problems. You know, 
and I would, you know, again, I'm, I'm not the poster child of this, you know, because my wife has an incredible garden. Yeah. And well, it's sacrificing something for something else. Cheaper housing for a lot of people well, it, living in, you know, and family. again, it's a sense of privilege. And what does that mean? Yeah. Right. You know, well, I think it is privileged to live here. Like, I think, um, I might not be able to stay here like forever because I think this is one of the nicest places in the world. And I think the ability to live here for $200 a month or something like the things that some crazy like people are saying that are pretty out there. I'm like, no, you can't live here because then everyone would live here. You can live $200 a month in a less nice place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a problem we're not going to fix through a conversation. Yes, we will. No, yes, we will. And you know, I, I think the biggest thing is that's hurt us in a lot of this is, yeah, I've got mine, you get yours attitude, you know, both on the liberal and conservative side of politics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a great acronym and it didn't originate in Eugene. Um, and I'm, I imagine it came from, you know, the planning world, the what people call cave dwellers, right? Cit- oh. Citizens against virtually everything. That's funny. And, you know, we are just as guilty as, you know, San Francisco or other large cities about having groups of people that want to maintain the status quo um, or want to inflict their vision of what the status quo should be, you know. And I think that's human nature to want to impact the the area around you in a way that you view as better. That's what everyone kind of is doing. Yeah. And, and, but it's interesting, you know, because we see that conflict of values over reality. Right. Yep. So, you know, if, if you're somebody who's fairly liberal and, you know, believes in government and density and all that. But when wouldn't liberal be not believe in government? Isn't that the definition of liberal is you don't want to depends, <laughs> depends on who you're talking to. Yeah. So somebody who's, who's considered sort of more progressive. How's that? Yeah. Okay, cool. So, um, you know, if you're all for, you know, housing, but then when it comes to your neighborhood, you try to block it. Yeah. What does that mean? You're yep. inconsistent. Or, I mean, on the other side of the things is, you know, if you purport to be very Christian and and then don't support sort of, you know, governmental policies that are in line with your religion, mm-hmm. like caring for the poor. Yeah. Right. Or, or stuff like that. I mean we're full of inconsistencies and what it boils down to is our own personal interest. Mm-hmm. And you know, if we don't ad- address and acknowledge that that is there, how do we get around it? It's a tough question. I mean, I don't believe that religion should have any say in politics because everyone is so different that if everyone tries to inflict their religious <sighs> belief on politics, that's when you get an even bigger um, divide between. Well, I mean, that's sort of the problem that's happened over the last 40, 50 years. Forever. And, the fact that every president's been Christian. Well, I, I'm not really worried about that part of it. What's, what's really, you know, so are, are you, you know, what, what I've seen is, um, you know, pol- politics and religious beliefs have become a real touch point. Um, and I'm not, I mean, I, my, again, my theory is, is that, um, the world started to change, you know, religion is 
by most standards, fairly old in, in doctrine. Mm-hmm. And so people are clinging to that as an anchor because the world is changing so fast. Yeah. And, you know, they don't even, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that are really, you know, as a group, they're against another group like LGBTQ, but then you talk to them about their gay friend and they, Oh, I love them. Yeah. Right. And you know, so they see that group as other and they see that group as part of this big change that's unmanageable. I mean, we hear that right now. I mean, you know, uh, the, this whole sort of white cis male middle aged victimhood that a lot of men are beginning to wear victimhood. Oh yeah, it's like we're being persecuted, right? Uh, you know, and again, I don't think we're. I think that's ludicrous. If you sort of take a rational look about yeah. it, is the world's changing to be a better place? Mm-hmm. You know, we're regressing to the mean. There are now more women in employment in the United States than men for the first time. Wow! Right? Yeah. Now, well, what happens if we ever correct the wage inequality? There is no wage inequality. Yeah, there is. There's, There's a huge no amount. Way There's a huge it. amount. And I I will call bullshit on that. Yeah, call bullshit on uh, it. What do you, I, wait, what do you think it is? You think two people working the same job, one person gets paid less if she's a woman? Because that's, that's the common misconception that even people like Obama spout off. I see it all the time. I, I can see it in any of the businesses I deal with. I you talk But they to, systematically pay women less. Yes, they do. It's systematic, and it's for multiple reasons. Some of it's just... Bias. Some of it's structural. Around. I think you're going on anecdotal here. No, it's not. Okay, because I think if you look at the statistics. So if you look, if you look at young people coming out of college applying yeah. for the same job, women yes. get paid less than men. Interesting. It's it has, and what happens is they get really slowed down if they stay home to take care of kids if they have a family, mm-hmm. um, or they get into a business where oh, you may get married and have kids. I'm not going to advance you. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not just wage inequality. It's advancement inequality, too. Yeah. And, you know, plus, I mean, here, here's the terrible thing. You know, men are full of bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> we will apply for a job. If there were 100 things that you needed to fulfill, mm-hmm. if we had one of them, we'd apply. Yeah. yeah. You know, and a lot of women and this is cultural and everything else, they would make sure they fulfilled all 100 before they applied for it, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, that, that's a difference in, you know, society. It may be a difference in biology. I don't know. But there is wage inequality. There is opportunity inequality for sure. I believe that, 100%. And, and that opportunity inequality leads to less wages, Yes. So you don't think that it has to do with people like people who code get a lot more money. I mean, there's the whole Google, the Google memo. So if there's a lot of coders and they get paid if, less than men, you think they do? Oh, I yeah. think places like Google are cracking down on that at an unbelievable level. And I think the fact that someone called it out and they got fired, they said some women don't want to code. Some make, I think men and women are wired like the James Damore put out the Google memo. He said men <sighs> and women are kind of wired differently. That that guy is just a shit show. You think so? Oh, he's full of shit. I think what he he's, said made some sense. He's completely what's wrong with tech. He's completely what's Whoa. wrong with startups. Interesting. And he is flouting victimhood because he has been provo- 
promoted to be a special person all his life because mm. he is smart. Yeah. He has ability, but he has no empathy. Yeah. And probably no managerial skill at all. Yeah. And if you look at the data in for example, if you graduate with a technical degree and you have somebody in your cohort who graduates with a liberal arts degree, by year eight they're making more money than you. The liberal arts? Yes. Really? By year eight, they are making more money than you. Technical degrees start out strong and then they flatten quickly. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of this is like the mid 30s coder dude who's stuck coding, going to see no advancement. Mm-hmm. And he sees people with softer skills or more creative skills going and getting the big jobs. Mm. And, you know, it's really frustrating for me because there are a lot of tech jobs that aren't tech. As in? Well, who runs the business at Google? Yeah, good point. Um, Amazon. <laughs> how many people, you know, Amazon has a whole host of coders, mm-hmm. but where do they make their money? Making their damn deals for all their goods that are on their site. Mm-mm. They make the majority of their money selling off their server space. Well, yeah, AWS. <laughs> yeah. But again, there's a ton of business people behind those business models yes, and figuring 100%. out what it costs. So, you know, let you know, let's not. No, you bring up really good points that I hadn't considered. You know, let's not get. Everybody's going to be self-interest. Everybody's going to protect themselves. Mm. How do we rationally look at that so it doesn't become an issue, mm. or at least we can mitigate it? Um, it's really hard. Um, it's highly biased. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's funny. I was just reading a study yesterday around immigration yeah. um, where some economists, you know, looked at attitudes toward immigration and across multiple countries, right? Mm-hmm. So this is pretty standard. You know, everybody thinks that the crime rate for immigrants is much higher mm-hmm. than it is. Yeah. Okay. And, or they take more social services or whatever, right? Yeah, whatever. So, even if these economists paid the people to say the right answer, like educated them. Mm-hmm. And so if you get the answer right, we'll give you 10 bucks. Yeah. You know, they would still get the answer wrong because of their beliefs and their biases. Yeah. Right now, I don't know how well the study was put together, mm-hmm. but in terms of, but it, it's an interesting thing that needs to be followed up, Yeah, you know, because you know, we have a war on expertise in this country right now. A war on expertise. Yeah. The I, reason I didn't comment on um, immigration is I know almost nothing on immigration. I well, comment a lot on what I don't know about, but that's one well, that I really we don't all know do. about. But, you know, I, I, and I know very little on this, but this is my opinion, but cool. we have a war on exper- expertise, right? Which, yeah. You know, we have a war here on education. Ooh, there, there's a, a group and people is don't trust the educated class, mm. right? Yeah. You know, they're going to lie to you. You know, I remember being up fishing last summer and carrying a boat across the lake. These three guys, the biggest problem with this, this country is college educated people, right? Yeah. And yeah, there's problems. There's problems with every group. Mm-hmm. You know, I, for one, don't think education is a problem, mm-hmm. um, but expertise too. I mean, if you, you, there's always bias and everybody has opinions, but you know, we've, we have this thing of, you know, experts don't know what they're talking about. Fake news. Hmm, yeah. Right. Um, if, if we disagree with somebody's opinion who has a study, we, we don't say, 
oh, they've changed my mind. I've looked at their data. We say, no, I disagree. And it's BS, mm-hmm. right? Um, even at governmental levels right now, right? We have, you know, the denigration of, you know, by calling expertise in government deep state. Yeah. You know, no, that's experience and wisdom. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and what a large part of this is, though, is group. You can't just go out of your group. And then when someone does, I know you you may not like her, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, like she she's just fence sitting right now and everyone hates her for it. I mean, she is universally hated. Yeah. I, I mean, I just like her for other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm not saying I like her. I'm just saying. She right. Is no, doing I that. mean, she I don't is, think she's hated for that. I think she's hated for some other things. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think she's hated. I mean, people will say they hate somebody in politics, but I. <laughs> I'm hoping the world's a place where we don't hate, hate. Yeah. I'm, I'm just like, I dislike them and I don't think their policies or what they would do is appropriate, mm. you know? And, and I look at people's backgrounds and upbringings just like everything else. And, you know, the problem is we've, along with this denigration of expertise, we've brought down the ability for people to have those gray areas. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Or, oh, I'm developing my opinion on this. Can't say those things. Right. You know, either you have to be yes or no. It's very Mm -hmm. binary. There's no gradation. You know, nuance, you know, died about 2000. Well, gosh, probably 1984, (laughs) if you really think about it. Um, But, yeah, I mean. What happened in 1984? An exact event? That's a specific. July 7th of 1984. Well, no, I, I mean. So I graduated high school in 1984. Oh, cool. Okay. So that's just when you started looking at politics. That's probably always because yeah, I, would I say, followed politics before then. But, you, did? Um, you know, it, it, I think it was an interesting time because it was <sighs> historians will cringe when I say stuff like this. But um, so Reagan got reelected in 84. Mm, okay. OK, so we went, you know, full into the morning in America conservative line, um, basically, you know, that was the full buy-in of trickle-down economics, Mm -hmm. full buy-in of the Friedman Doctrine, which is, you know, corporations exist to increase shareholder value only, right? So, you know, we actually saw this whole idea of social contract eaten away, right? Um, that's when unions were really attacked. Mm. And um, I think to the detriment of our country, frankly, um, it always, everything's a pendulum and it swings. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we've really swung away from organized labor, which I think is a big problem. Um, yeah. And globalization is But it what's, is more gradated than that. There is some organized labor that is bad. Some of the unions, I, I, when I look at unions, I think, yeah, a lot of unions are good, but I think... Oh, I mean, that's just like anything. There's a lot of companies that are terrible. Yes. Right. So, but I mean, the bigger thing is because of the change in the economic structure of the world around globalization, it's really reduced power of unions too. Yeah. That being said, you know, that was the time frame of all this stuff. It, you're, you're sort of came out of the first huge recession after, um, you know, world war two and the world was starting to change rapidly. Technology was coming on then. Um, and to me, that's sort of an inflection point of that era. Um, 
so and that may be highly biased because that's when I sort of, you know, by age became an adult, even though I would argue that I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of changes that happened then, mm-hmm. um, both around politics and social and whatever. You know, the Cold War, you know, we bankrupted Russia and caused them. That was the start, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, Gorbachev. Um, so there was a whole bunch of stuff that started in that 80s era that was basically some policies that got traction mm-hmm. um, that came to fruition in the next 20 years. Yeah. See, so you've been, you've been old, like you've been in politics for longer. Do you think people are getting more into politics now? Cause from my perspective, I just got out of, you know, college and stuff. I think people are more into politics now than they have been in a long time. Like every conversation denigrates to politics. And um, I kind of did it on purpose here. Cause uh, you tweet a lot about it. And I, actually I do. Like your, Oh my I gosh. T- I tweet more about um, what I think of as sort of public planning and policy stuff and startups than than politics. I mean, I'll oh, retweet okay. something or something, but I try to stay out of politic politics. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, politics impacts every bit of our life because it impacts government. Yes, 100%. Your name on Twitter right now, you, you edit it to involve a political... Um, no, I changed thing. it. I think. Did you change it back? But you know what I mean. Like, like. No, that that was just because I thought it was funny. <laughs> no, it was it was hilarious. <laughs> you know, but um, and then it goes back way back to another joke that I used to make um, because my last name's Johnson. Oh, uh, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, I. I think the culture wars and I think the political wars and, and stuff, we get highly biased by our region. Mm-hmm. We get highly biased by our peer group. Yep. Um, I'm sort of lucky that, you know, I grew up in a very rural area where there were a lot of super smart people that weren't college educated. I did a lot of farm work. Um, and, and I belong to groups that a lot of, you know, privileged, well-educated people don't belong to. And I can still navigate those pretty well, um, you know. And I can talk to the guy who, who's the rancher who wants to kill every wolf in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And while I can see his point of view, I won't agree with him. Yeah. But, you know, I can have a good conversation with that person. Yeah. I, I think what happens when we get trapped in our own little worlds, either through college education, career, you know, startups and everything, you know, 20% of the American population has a college degree. What percentage of your peer group that you travel in has college degrees? Yeah, it'd probably be higher, probably 60. Yeah, mine's probably 60 to 80, right? Yeah. And we have to remember that mm-hmm. because, you know, when every conversation ends in politics, it probably does, and it probably <laughs> happens at all levels, um, but the conversations are very different. Yeah. And I don't think we hear those enough. No, that's a good point. You know, it's sort of the the privilege of being in a silo. Yeah, in a silo. Well, yeah, your own peer group. Yeah, right? yeah, in, a, in an echo chamber. Yeah, I like it. That's why I try to challenge people. I always just, I always take both. Um, people always say that there's three camps. The you love, you like, you loved Hillary, hated Trump. Loved Trump, hated Hillary. You hated both of them. I take the, the other one. I'm like, you know what? I think they both were. They're both okay. I like all politicians. Yeah, I don't. I mean. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's, 
sort of like anything, and maybe this is a weird moral compass, but I think if you have to violate the law to be successful, mm-hmm. especially laws that are not unjust, yeah, I will draw the line at unjust laws because yeah. there are some. No, things he's done with charities and Trump University and all those things. Yeah, or, 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 or even ignoring, you know, um, certain things in the Constitution about testifying or whatnot, right? Yeah. And, and every politician does this, you know. Yeah. You know, they spin, they manipulate, they negotiate, they do whatever. And, you know, regardless of who your side you're on, they've done it. Um, I just think it's it's like the same in business. I mean, if you have to violate the law in order to grow your business, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sorry. You know, your, your integrity is in question because it's a societal norm. Well, I think a lot of the monopolies right now may not break the law, but um, are you good on time? We can no, I'm good on time. Um, maybe not break the law, but maybe push toward liberalism or change the laws so that they're not breaking the law. That's yeah, what I'd argue. and I'm talking about more of the stuff where you Moral just... Moral laws? Um, no, I mean, it's it's like, you know, the classic example are the rideshare services that just moved in. Yeah. You know, and, you know, they... Re- you know, it's it's basically ask for forgiveness later. Yeah. Um, and because there's this huge bias in the country right now towards business being right, towards, you know, all things point to free enterprise, you know. And, you know, these businesses still aren't profitable. No. They could crater, and what, what do they have caused? Well, they would have actually caused the degradation of a system that wasn't perfect mm-hmm. but was still okay Potentially-ish, depending on your point of view, like taxis. Yeah, you know. No, yeah, but so then it goes back to the accelerationism. Like it seems like that was an eventual thing, is to put taxes out of business for the next one, and then this will go out of business for a better one. It seems like a better solution will come about from this failing. Because I mean, they're losing what, like two billion dollars a year. I, I don't. It's I unbelievable. I haven't kept up on them. No, there's no way Uber will succeed. I don't think. Because well, who knows? I mean, yeah. Who I, again? Who knows what? The, the inner workings of all these people's brains are, but, um, you know, we do, if, if anything, I, and I don't know if it'll happen or not. I, I, I think when you have absolutes where everything's a binary thing, I mean, we've moved towards this total utilitarianism in our society that it has to have return value, whatever we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ex- things exist for one sole purpose, mm-hmm. and by that we've reduced people's place in society down to what can they personally get out of it. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's we, the the problem is we're in right now. I think we're in this weird tension state where people are realizing. The costs of privilege, right? Yeah. Um, and then there's people who don't want to acknowledge that, right? Um, there's the merit- meritocracy people who's like, well, we're America and everybody yeah. has the same chance. And yeah. please don't tell me that they don't, yeah. right? Um, Even though like 60% of wealth is inherited. Right. Well, I mean, there's this great little number and I just read it, I think. So... Um, you know, the richest families in Venice, Italy, mm-hmm. are, were the richest families in 1450. 
Yeah, that's what I expect. Yeah, I you know, know, inherited wealth, right? Yeah. Um, is that good or bad? I it's can't bad. Com- Well, your gut says it's bad, <laughs> yeah. right? But who knows, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a problem with philanthropy. I think in a society as rich as ours, we shouldn't need philanthropy to take care of people. Yeah. Um, you know, and philanthropy comes from a meritocratic Mm-hmm. side yeah. oh if you're successful enough to be rich enough to be able to give money you should get to decide yeah you know but then and, people's lives depend on the rich people being generous well and, and then at the end of the day you're making a policy public policy statement with your own wealth mm-hmm. and it's you making that decision with yeah. one point mm-hmm. and you know i i give money every year to things and you know it helps Mm-hmm. But, you know, really in a society of as well off as we are, mm-hmm. you know, people shouldn't go hungry. No. People should have places to live. Yeah. You know, people should be treated for mental illness. People should have health care. You know, and, you know, where that, wherever that gets is, um, and where it goes is there's meritocracy and, and then there's the... Um, Egalitarianism? No. Um, gosh, I always have a hard time with... Um, if you're successful, God's on your side. Uh, theology. Oh. Uh, uh, damn, I can't find the word. Why can't I? Um, but there's that. You know, If you're not successful in our society, mm-hmm. it's your problem and there's something to blame, right? Yeah. Either I'd, I'd say that's an extension of meritocracy. Yeah, but it's also part of sort of our weird uh, Judeo-Christian belief that yeah. if you work hard, yep. right? Um, prosperity theology. Thank you. Yeah, okay. So if you're pros- prosperous, God is on your side. You've won his you know, favor, yeah. right? Because that's the only way where prosperity comes from mm-hmm. in certain belief systems. And because of those two things, what happens, in, again, my opinion, is... Um, it puts all the blame on the person yep. and not the system they operate in. 100% agree. And, you know, that's unfortunate. It is. And, you know, um, a lot of us start on third base, a lot of us start on first base, yep. but there's a lot of people that start in the dugout and have to get on deck and then get up to the plate and then maybe get to first base. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, anyway. I like it. Well, do you have any closing thoughts or anything? Uh, no, that's went way far from what I thought I was going to talk about. Yeah. Um, we tend to talk about people's most intimate desires and fetishes and oh, stuff. But wow. So we, we stayed pretty. Well, you stayed away from those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank goodness. I'm not sure what mine are. No. Um, you know, my, my closing comments is, you know, what's important to me is my local community. Um, and I try to start with a, a belief that, you know, most people I interact with are coming from a good place and want to see po- progress. Um, and, you know, with the right alignment, progress can be made. So I like it. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you. This is fun. Bye.